Welcome back to a real episode of Cast and Wax, a full, fully stocked, all new serials type stuff. Yeah, that's a good intro. My name is Jordan D. White here on the only official podcast of Waxwork.com, Cast and Wax. Uh, With me, I have my full complement of hosts. Uh, I have with me, uh, for example, fresh from bed rest, my little cat, Scape. Hey, Dad, how are you doing today? Good, how are you? Um, oh, you actually asked me how I was doing. You said you weren't gonna. Oh, well, I forgot it's been a while, but the point is just, I am doing very well. That's my point. Your, that was your point in asking me how I was doing, was to be able to say that you're doing well? Yes, I feel much better. I'm no longer sick. Seth helped me get better by having me chill and rest, and uh, now I'm feeling pretty good about myself and the world. And the world, both? You and the world? Interesting. What does that have to do with it? I'm just, I'm just happy, that's all. I'm just feeling good. Um, in addition... Uh, I want some moist food, please. What? No, I'm not going to give you moist food. Why? What? Where did that come from? Well, I, d- I just feel happy, and um, moist food would make me feel more happy. So I figured you'd want to do that. You're, like, making me happy, right? Oh, I like you being happy. I don't necessarily feel that it's my duty to, like, you know, perpetuate it at all times. It is. You're my dad. You get to make me happy. I get to? Yeah. That's your, like, job. I don't think that's how parenting works. I mean, I- I'd say you'll understand when you're a parent, but we did cut off your testicles. <sighs> Bring that up. Now you really have to give me moist food. No, I really don't. Okay, well, let's 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 see what the others think about this scintillating topic. Uh, for example, Mr. Rory Sinjin. Yes, hello. Yes, Rory Sinjin. Um, I don't think that you need to give him moist food. I mean, you could. Has it been a while? When was the last time you had some? I had some yesterday. Well, that's that's a bit that's a bit recent. You know, what I mean, do you have to have moist food every day? Preferably, yeah. Actually, maybe not. Maybe two times every day. One time at the morning time, and one time at the evening. That seems a bit. Actually, that does seem a bit excessive. Oh, did you not eat two times a day? You only eat one time a day? Is that how it is? You only eat once every couple of days? Yes, but you have dry food. You have the... There's lots of food. You have food. You're not going to go hungry. It's just a question of whether you get the special treaty food. I do. No, but it's... All right. Uh, Frank... This is Frank Allen over here, our final host. Yes, finally getting to me. Good. Uh, as you can tell, my voice is back, which is very pleasant for me. I don't have to use the stupid computer anymore, and I don't have to get relentlessly taunted by my compatriots. Well, I wouldn't go that far. I mean, but we weren't talking to you about the computer voice. Oh yeah, of course, great. I do want to say, uh, uh, uh Jordan, that you were you were kind of uh, unnecessarily mean to me while I was sick. Well, Frank, I I wouldn't. Okay, I mean, two, you know, two things. First of all, it was a really annoying voice, so I so I didn't want to hear it, and in addition, I didn't want to force the listeners to have to hear it. It was it was annoying. When you can hear me and Rory, you know, talking completely normal, it's like, why do I want to have Frank doing this thing? It's annoying. Yeah, but it's my only means of communicating at that time. And so as one of the hosts, I probably should have been do some sort of respect. You're probably right. I'm sorry. I'm sorry I didn't respect you. But maybe I was playing it up for the audience. What? Maybe I was playing up my, my jerkiness for the audience. Well, that, that's... Well, first of all, you could tell me about it beforehand, and then I don't have to hate you for a week. 
for two weeks. You've you've been hating me for two weeks. Well, I've been aggravated. Look, the point. It, no, what I'm saying is, look, you just you got to be nice to me. It doesn't matter. I'm back now, so here I am, able to defend myself readily with my voice. Uh, so I do I do want to say thank you for everyone who was lending me some support because I do appreciate that. Okay. Good. Oh, speaking of people lending you support, um, I want to mention that I want to be able to start including some listener mail on the podcast. I have, for that purpose, created a email address for all four of us to share as the hosts of this show. The email is castinwax at gmail.com. It's got no spaces in it, just castinwax. And you can write to me, you can write to Frank, you can write to Rory, you can write to Scapey. We'll probably read some of the listener mail on the air, maybe respond to it there. Some of it, if, if it's not, if it's quick, maybe we'll respond to it on email. But anyway, if you want to email any of us, like I said, castinwax at gmail.com. Please, please give it a go. It's going to be lots of fun hearing what you think. We, we definitely want to know what you guys think. Um, was I too hard on Frank when he had the computer voice? Well, you can write in and let me know. Uh, or was the computer voice just really annoying and needed to be silenced? Well, you can write in and let Frank know. I don't think anybody's going to write in like that. I mean, that would be a rude... Is somebody really going to take the time to write in and be like, wow, you're a jerk? You, you don't go on the internet very much. You don't have a computer. Yeah, people... That's what gets people motivated is is yelling at people. You, we'll get... We'll probably get way more mail saying you guys are all a bunch of jerks and your show stinks every week I listen to it and I hate it. We'll probably get more mail like that than keep up the good work mail. Really? Well, for, I mean, for some of us. I, personally... I know most of the feedback I get about my my work gen- generally tends to be very positive. Yeah, but you're not talking about on the internet, are you? I mean, you're not getting feedback on the show from internet listeners, are you? Well, no, no. I mean, I mean my direct work, the work I do directly with people. Well, of course. I mean, if you were if you were doing poor work directly with people, you'd just lose your business and you'd go out of business. You know, it has nothing to do with it. Well, that's I suppose that's fair. Yeah. So, like I said, it's been two weeks since we last spoke with everybody. Let's check on how everybody's doing. We already spoke to Scapey. You you get you've, you've been getting better, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, sass basically. Basically, tell me just chill, try to sleep as much as possible, and then you'll get better. And I did. But then I was like, well, I don't want to get sick again. So maybe I should keep sleeping. And so for the week after, I slept about as much. And I think I might try to keep sleeping, basically. You're just going to keep sleeping most of the time? Yeah, because, well, it keeps me healthy and keeps me rested. And it feels kind of good to sleep. But what about, okay, now you're supposed to be hunting for demons. No, 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 no. I don't hunt for demons. I protect from demons. If demons come, I react. I'm reactive. I'm not proactive. I just chill out. And if the demon sense goes off, I will kill demons. For now, I chill. All right. I mean, that's that's a little weird. Although, I mean, I guess what that's like an alarm, right? You don't you don't want your alarm looking for burglars. You just want it to go off if there is a burglar. Right? Exactly. Exactly. And that's me. I'm like a demon alarm. I go off when there's demons, and otherwise, I am at rest. Okay. Um. So, but uh, Frank, what have you been up to for two weeks? Well, uh, that's nothing. Oh, you just, well, I, I mean, I work, you know, again, I, you know, yeah, it's a, it's a, I, I don't, I don't get paid a lot. I work a lot. I've been working on, uh, new show ideas and, uh, hopefully I'll get some of those soon. You've been working on new show ideas? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I've been toying with the, the, the whole, uh, 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 proselytizing. Is it real or not? Idea. Prosely- that's the one that's a lot like tractor fiction. Well, it, no, it's, it has a kind of a thematic echo, but it, it's not about tracks. Yeah. Okay. Um, you might want to, I mean, you might want to branch out beyond car debate and, and proselytizing is it real or not for your new ideas. You might want to try to go a new direction. Well, like what kind of new direction? Well, if I told you, it would be my show. Well, I could, we could work something out. No, I'm not going to, look, I'm not going to, I'm not going to make shows for you. I mean, that I've already done that make shows for you thing. And that was the, the two shows we did. I made those shows. Well, yeah. 
But, I mean, before that, I, I did have shows. Well, what were those shows about? Well, I mean, they were mostly just me talking. Well, you know, I mean, there are a lot of shows like that. You know, that's like the, the Rush Limbaugh show or the Bill O'Reilly show, things like that. I mean, they, there are a lot of radio shows where people just talk on their own. Yeah. Well, wait, what are you saying? Well, I'm saying you could do that. Really? They, they'll let me do that? Well, I don't know if they'll let you. I mean, that's something worth trying, though. You know, you could, you could see about that. All right. Well, I can try that. I can try that. Maybe I'll work up a, a pilot. Okay. Yeah, work up a pilot. Maybe we'll, we'll air clips from it. Well, why clips? Why not the whole thing? Well, guy, I mean, I imagine it's going to have to be long. A lot of those shows are like hours long where the people are just talking about stuff for like hours and we don't have hours on our podcast. We have an hour and, you know, we don't want to waste it all on you. No offense to you, but we don't want to have a whole solid podcast of just you talking. <laughs> they go on for hours at a time? Yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, I mean, the, you know, there's commercials and stuff, so it's broken up a little bit. But yeah, they basically spend hours talking about, you know, politics, current events, things like that. And they, sometimes they'll play little audio clips. Depending on the show, they might have a comedy bit, whether it's a really political show or not. Sometimes they'll have guests on, they'll interview them. But I mean, all told, it's hours of show where basically, basically, it's one person talking. Wow. I never, I never thought of that. I, I usually was doing like maybe five, ten minutes. Wait, so you would just basically do five to ten minutes, what, a day? Well, I mean, no, I, well, sometimes I do it more than once a day, but basically every show was like five or ten minutes, yeah. I mean, that's the way we do it here. We have, well, we have slightly longer shows here. We have like 15, 15 minute shows, 20 minute shows. Well, yeah, but that's because we, we were trying to jam in so many different shows. I can't believe you didn't know this. Have you never listened to the radio? Well, I've heard the radio before, but I don't, you know, I don't, I listen in the car and then I, I get there and I turn it off. I figured that's about how long you need a show to be. What about people who drive for an hour? Why would you want to drive for an hour? Because you commute to work. What, what do you mean, why would you want to drive for an hour? Rory, help me out here. I, am I crazy? Uh, no, you're not crazy. It, it is, in fact, as usual, Frank, who's crazy. I don't, I'm not crazy. Look, like I said, I just, I was in the, sh I was in the, I would only be in the car for a little while. I figured, well, how long of show you need? Five to ten minutes. Each DJ can have, you know, ten minute shows. And then there's a, a lot of us and we'll take up the whole thing. There's not that many DJs. No, 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 no. Look, Frank, a, a, a good radio host has to be able to do hours at a time. Come up with many, many topics. Keep going, keep going, you know, all those things. I mean, if you listen to what I do on Where Are They Now in History, I'm coming up with as many ideas as I can into one very, very brief amount of time. But if I were to say spread that out over, you know, the course of hours and, and go into more detail, well, then perhaps that could fill out his radio host. But but then again, I'm not really interested in being a radio host, so I don't know why I mention it. I don't know why you mention it either. Look, uh, all right, well, you know, if you need to do hours, I'll do hours. I'll, I'll work up hours. All right. I mean, that's what you need to do. You got to have a reel where you can show that you can. I mean, there was that one episode where you filled in that interview time by yourself. But again, that was like a two minute, you know, three minute thing. Yeah, I mean, but like I, I thought that was good enough. That's like a full show. No, that's not a full. Sh OK, work up the hours. We'll play. We'll play choice selected clips, maybe. All right. I'm going to do it. I'm going to buckle down and do this. All right. Um. So speaking of buckling down and doing this, we've got now our serials. Let's buckle down and listen to them. Uh, First up, we've got Like Mother with an episode called Me in the Corner. This is an episode I wrote, which makes me very happy because I like me. Um, in addition, <laughs> it's a funny episode. It references some things that I like. I particularly enjoy the milk scene and the, uh, the discussion in the car. You'll see what I mean. Enjoy Like Mother starting now.
mother. Episode 5. Me in the Corner by Jordan D. White. Pandora Darling had found herself in a lot of strange situations over the last few days. Situations in which she would never have expected to wind up. She hadn't expected to find her mother standing over a dead body in her living room. She hadn't expected to awaken every morning locked in a metal box. She hadn't expected to shoot a woman dead and fish about in her gullet. She hadn't expected to have Bobby Kurtzman over for dinner. However, far and away the most surprising to her was finding herself riding in the passenger seat of her English teacher Mr. Nielsen's car. She'd imagined herself in just such a situation numerous times since enrolling in the dreamy teacher's class. But of course, given her recent luck, she should have assumed it could only actually happen on the hardest day of her life. Because of this, what should have been unbridled teenaged excitement come seduction was subsumed under a firm layer of malaise and fear. Comfortable, Pandy? Yes, Mr. Nelson. Please, Pandy, we're not in class. You can call me Tom. <laughs> Tom. I'm glad we have this chance to talk. I've been hoping to share some things with you, but class was never the place. How's your mother doing? My mother? What do you- You said she was sick last time we spoke. Oh, yes. Yes, she has been very, very sick. Except she won't admit how sick she is. She just keeps carrying on like everything is normal, you know? The previous evening, for example, had found Hope Darling serving ravioli to Pandora, Bobby Kurtzman, and her fellow stewardess, Annette, looking at the others who appeared to be casually eating dinner, as if she and Bobby had not just emerged from a large metal box. Pandora had begun to wonder if it was in fact she who was insane. Your mother and I were both booked on an overnight fly from New York to L.A., which just happened to be the fly Harrison Ford was taking. Harrison Ford? The Han Solo? Such a handsome man, even in person. Of course, nothing compared to your father, Potato, but had I been a single woman? So, of course, both of us wanted to do everything we could for him. So... As Bobby looked on in awe of the story, Pandora noticed her mother move her hand over the glass of milk she'd brought him. She flicked at the stone on her right index finger, and a fine white powder dropped into the drink. Pandora's eyes widened. Hope met her daughter's eyes, smiled, and winked. And dropped the ice right into his... Jesus, Mother, what do you think you're doing? I'm sorry, dear. What's the matter, Pandy? Are you trying to kill him, Mother? Is that your solution to everything? Just kill, kill, kill? I don't know what you're talking about, Pandora, dear. Pandora, be respectful to your mother. Pandy reached across the table and grabbed Bobby's milk glass. Hey, that's my milk! I'm very thirsty. I can get you your own, dear. No, Mom, I want this one. But I already drank out of that one. I don't care. I want to drink right now. Gosh. You don't want to anger your mother, dear. I've seen her angry. Go ahead, then. What? Go ahead. If you're that thirsty, dear, go ahead. Drink it. Are you... are you sure? You're the one who can't wait for her own glass. You've made such a show of being thirsty. I think you ought to take your drink. But... Drink. All eyes on her, Pandora brought the glass to her lips and downed the remaining milk. At that point... Her memory of the evening became hazy. She had a vague sense of doing things. She was fairly certain she didn't pass out, but she couldn't remember anything 
but a cloudy haze until she awoke in the box next morning. When she emerged, she could smell bacon downstairs, but even the thought of food made her nauseous. It was then that she made her decision. She couldn't take it anymore. She had to leave, no matter the cost. After packing up her school backpack, she crept into her mother's room. In the third dresser drawer, way at the back, was the money Hope had been saving to get Pandora a used car for Christmas. She'd thought her daughter had no idea, but she'd found it some time back. Pandora took it and stashed it in her bag. Are you sure that's all it is, Pandora? Just your mother? Mostly. Well, what else is it? Just... Everything. It all seems like too much sometimes. I feel like I'm backed in a corner, and I'm afraid of what might happen if I don't get out. I just... I just don't know what to do. You know you can always talk to me, Pandy. You can share anything with me, and I'll never tell. I'm very good at keeping secrets. <laughs> I'm hoping you are too, since I could get into quite a bit of trouble if anyone were to find out I gave you a ride. I think... things are changing so quickly. Nothing is the way I thought it was, and now... I just don't know who I am anymore. I don't know what the world wants from me. I understand. High school can be hard, especially for young women like yourself. Things begin to change inside you. You feel urges, impulses you don't know how to cope with. It can be a struggle without a strong, firm influence to guide you. But I think I know something that can help. What's that? Let me ask you this. Would you say you were a good person? It was not the first time Pandora had considered this question recently. Not even the first time that day or that hour. She'd questioned her goodness when lying to her mother that morning after having just stolen from her. How are you feeling, Potato? Any better? I'm fine, Mother. I don't know why you had to make such a scene like that, dear. Can we talk about it later, Mother? I'm late for school. All right, but just remember, sour faces never solved anything. Cheer up. Oh, Potato, here this morning's paper. I saved it for you. Read the article on page 13. I circled it. What? Why? I think you'll understand when you read it. Just give it a I'll look. I'll see you after school, Mother. Promise me you'll read it. I promise! She'd stuffed the paper in her bag and walked out the door, her conscience tugging at her, wishing the last thing she ever said to her mother wasn't a broken promise. At school, she questioned her goodness when lying to her best friend. Why are you so distracted today? Did you not even hear me? This is breaking news, Pandy. I'm sorry, what did you say? I said, Sandy told me that Todd said that George seemed to indicate that he might be thinking about asking you to homecoming. Homecoming? Wait, where's Bobby? I haven't seen him all day. Bobby? Why are you thinking about that Luzero Grande when I'm talking to you about George Batista? George Batista, homecoming, hello! But Tabby, I'm just, I'm not all that concerned with homecoming right now. What is wrong with you, girl? I'm sorry, Tabby. Look, I'm just in a bad mood. How about this? You can pump Todd for info for me. See if you can get some inside intel on this George Batista issue. And we'll talk about it tonight and formulate a stratagem. Sound good? Yes, sir. Agent Wentworth reporting for Covert Ops. Operation Panda Hookup commences in three, two... <laughs> I, I love you, Tabby. Hey, now. You need to keep that type of thing to yourself until college. <laughs> now, I've got a job to do. Pandora had also questioned her goodness when lying to her favorite teacher after school. She'd been standing under the city bus stop just across from the school when he'd pulled up in his car, rolled down the window, and called out to her. What are you doing, Pandora? Just waiting for a bus. I'm supposed to meet my mother at the airport this afternoon. She's getting back from a flight to Phoenix. Need a ride? 
Pandora had been unsure. It was practically a dream come true, Mr. Nielsen giving her this much attention. On the other hand, she'd likely never see him again. What the heck? You only live once. Now nearing the airport, as he asked her flat out if she was a good person, Pandora found the question harder than ever. She wanted more than anything to be doing the right thing. I don't know. I... I try. Yes. Yes, I am. I think I am. Well, let's see. Have you ever told a lie? <laughs> yeah, lots. And especially recently. So what does that make you? What do you mean? Well, if you're someone that lies, then that makes you... A liar. A big liar. Have you ever taken anything that didn't belong to you? Even when you were young or if it was something small? Yes. Yes, I have. So what would that make you? A thief. Jesus once said that anyone who looks with lust has committed adultery in his or her heart. So have you ever looked with lust? Pandora looked over at Mr. Nielsen and could not deny it. I sure have. That makes you an adulterer. He also said that to hate someone is to commit murder in your heart. So are you a murderer too? I, yes, I'm definitely a murderer too. So by your own admission, you're a lying, thieving, adulterous murderer. When you put it that way, I don't sound like a very good person. So if you were to die today and God were to judge you based on the Ten Commandments, would you be found innocent or guilty? Guilty. More guilty than ever. So would you go to heaven or hell? Well, I mean, I don't know. I guess hell, if I'm a murderer. Doesn't that concern you, Pandora? Because it concerns me. What? Um, you can let me off here. This is Mom's game. Hang on just a moment, Pandora. It's important. God sent Jesus Christ to earth to die for our sins. He shed his precious blood so that we could give ourselves to him and his blood could wash us clean. If we don't accept his gift, we go to hell forever. I don't want you to go to hell, Pandora. I wouldn't lie to you. Well, thank you for that, and thanks for the ride. Will you at least think about it? I sure will. Yeah, thanks. Pandora shut the door behind her and watched her teacher drive off away from the airport, mentally adding another entry onto her list of things she never expected to happen. Then she closed her eyes, took a deep breath, and headed inside the airport. One-way ticket to Seattle, please. They had only first class left, so it cost a bit more than she'd have liked, but she needed to go. Her father's parents lived in Seattle and had never liked Mother. They had actually attempted to get Pandora taken from her when her father had died. If anyone would understand her trouble with Mother, it was then. As she made her way through the airport, she felt a weight lifting slowly off her shoulders. Every step towards her departure gate seemed to come easier, so that she almost felt like her normal self again by the time she caught sight of Bobby Kurtzman. Bobby? He was just walking into a men's room, so she only saw him for a fraction of a second. But Pandora was sure it was Bobby. She was equally certain that as he'd stepped into the restroom, he'd winked at her <laughs> and given a gentle nod. What the hell Flight is... Flight 2836 to Seattle, Washington is now boarding at 817. Crap! Pandora shook off the odd sighting and made haste to her gate, boarding and sitting in a large, comfortable seat, stretching out. She'd only had time to pack a very few items in her school bag that morning, and in-flight entertainment had not been in the forefront of her mind. So she had to settle for a tale of two cities left from Mr. Nielsen's class. She'd only gotten about as far as the worst of times when... Glad you made it, Potato. I knew you'd decode that message in the paper. I couldn't be more proud of you. Bobby should be here any minute, then we can go over the plan. Will Pandora never be able to escape her mother's madness? What new scheme of Hope Darlings had she stumbled into? What did it have to do 
with Bobby. The mystery deepens as Like Mother continues next episode with shock and awe and amazement. In that episode of Like Mother, the narrator was Charles Berman, Pandora Darling was Guinevere Eckert, Hope Darling was Lynn Nelson, Tabby and the announcement were both Ava Rosenblatt, Bobby Kurtzman was Jordan D. White, Mr. Nielsen was Daniel Schwartz, and Annette was Tong Wen Wong. The theme song was by Jordan D. White. Excellent. I think that was a quite a bit of fun. Like I said, I like that episode because it's got the whole creepy pedophile thing. Turns out to be Christian thing. I, I like that idea. You know, I'm I'm a, I'm a sucker for that sort of thing. Yes, you are. You certainly are. That uh, hence the entire concept of Tractor Fiction, right? Well, yeah. I mean, gosh, when they get to the episode of of Tractor Fiction about Lisa. Whew, I look forward to hearing what everybody thinks about that uh, by having them email us at castandwax at gmail.com. <laughs> so if you think I was unjust to the Christians there, please feel free to email me and let me know. If you think, uh, you know, whatever. If you think that Pandora shouldn't have drank that milk, let me know. Sure. Okay. Don't we have more to do? Oh, yes. Yes, it is time for my part of the show, This Day in History. Uh, and, of course, where are they now in history? This is a very special day. It has to do with everyone's favorite subject, of course, the Nazis. Let's get right to it. It's quite educational. Hello and welcome to This Day in History on WHIW Binghamton. My name is Rory Sinjin. On July 7th, 1942, Heinrich Himmler, in league with three others, including a physician, decides to begin experimenting on women in the Auschwitz concentration camps and to investigate extending this experimentation to the males. Ah, Gretel, here. Take this herbal supplement. Was is das? Hey, 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 the experiment should have been. Shut up, yet. doctor! Shut up! That's Dr. Mengele to you, the angel of death, everyone's favorite future Nazi war criminal. Quiet, Mengele. I perform experiment. Here. I'm the doctor here. You're I just ignore you. in charge of Germany. Consult with me before you perform this experiment. What are you two doing? Speed this up. We have things to get to. Yeah, yeah, sorry, Mindfuhrer. Look, look, purple. Oh, oh, purple? Now, here. Take this, ignore Dr. Mengele, you and take other one. What, with the what, physician. What will these do? My first name is not doctor, it's an earned title. Shut up, Mengele, I, shut up. Himmler. Swallow. Your mustache is worse than the Fuhrer's. But, but, there but, was no purple. Oh, um, Himmler took it. All right, shut up, all right. Mengele, shut up, shut up, I ignore, all right, I ignore. Then everyone shut up. I, I will take medicine. No, you must consult with me first. Uh, all right, but, but what should I do? Don't take the medicine. All right. Herbal herbal remedies can be bad for you when taken with uh, with medicines. You, you you must find out what's what's going on. I, I don't so? even know what your medical history is. I will take the medicine. Yeah, yeah, go for it. Oh, Octon, I'm dying. Manshura, he's dead. I, oh. does, does this mean we still have to be Nazis? Because uh, I don't like red and black. Doesn't look good on me. Yes. Let's go to Italy. We be with Mussolini. I don't like Italians. Ah. Fascist, I'm going to Brazil. I'll catch y'all later. Bye. I go to Argentina. To this day, many people debate over whether it's right or not to take lessons learned from Nazi experiments. But I think we can all agree that we can learn from this that you should consult a doctor before taking herbal supplements as they can interact with other medications. This is This Day in History on WHRW Binghamton. 
But you can take this. Hello there, my name is Rory Sinjin. This is Where Are They Now in History on Cast and Wax. There's so much to talk about about that one. I don't even know where to begin. But, in fact, I'll begin with the woman who did not take the herbal medication. The Nazis had left, of course, and they all lost, and they lost the war, and everyone got to go free. So, she went on with her life and went about her business, and eventually, she went to someone who said, Hey, have some herbal supplements. And she said, Ah, but I learned from my time with the Nazis that you're not supposed to take herbal supplements without consulting with a doctor first. And she went to the doctor, and the doctor said, Good thing you didn't take this, because it would have made your eyes bleed purple blood, which would have been really disgusting, and lots of mucus ooze out of every pore of your body. And she was like, my goodness, that would have been bad. So, everyone heard her story. She went on television, in fact, and said, oh my gosh, if I had taken this herbal supplement, I would have, you know, the purple blood, blah, 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 blah. And everyone said, my goodness, I guess that you can learn some lessons from the Nazis. And in fact, learning from the Nazis became this euphemism from taking great advice. And everyone would walk around going, oh, looks like you learned from the Nazis. When someone would graduate from college or high school or whatever they graduate from. So, why don't you learn from the Nazis and make sure that you don't take herbal supplements without consulting your doctor first. This is Rory Sinjin on Where Are They Now in History on Cast and Wax. Wow. Well, I guess uh, Rory certainly learned from the Nazis, if you know what I mean. Well, if you mean that it, that's, I take good advice and I, 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 I learn things well, that's what it means in that, in that world. That's the euphemism in that world. No, I meant you learn from the Nazis. I meant you clearly have an affection for Nazis and a hatred for French people, as we've established elsewhere. And uh, uh, I suspect that perhaps you're secretly a Nazi. That's preposterous. No, no, of course not. Look, I, I've said many times that Hitler is, is a bad person. Okay, uh, I'll, I'll, I mean, it's that, that sounds to me kind of like a lady who, Who's protesting a bit more than she should. I think you just mangled that quote, Frank. No, it doesn't matter. Quote, quote aside, I'm saying he's a Nazi. Well, I don't think there's any proof that he's actually a Nazi, is what I'm saying. I mean, why why would you say that? It's just, no, like I said, uh, well, he, he certainly talks about them a lot. That's all I'm saying. And, and, and frequently, he likes to say, oh, you know, Hitler's not as bad as he seemed, or he likes, uh, he likes animals, and, uh, you know, and he says not to take herbal medicine. No, Hitler didn't say that. Hitler died from that, in fact. Yeah, well... Okay, but but the Nazis, look, it's Nazis. You like Nazis. I didn't like Nazis, but they are an interesting topic. Uh, you know, are you saying that the History Channel is, is run by a bunch of Nazis because they do lots of shows about Nazis? Uh, well, I wasn't saying that, but you've just said it. And maybe you're friends with them. I don't know. Are all historians secretly Nazis? Is that what you're trying to say? No, that's not what I'm trying to say. I'm not a Nazi. Look, I'm not a Nazi. I'm a historian. There's a big difference. One of them is evil. One of them is good and makes lots of money. It's different. Which one? Wait. Which one is evil? The, the Nazis are the evil ones. I'm the one who's good, and I make lots of money. All right. Well, I guess that matter is at rest. I guess so. Speaking of things at rest, let's move on to the next topic, which, of course, is the United Nations. You're going to be debating that on Debatatorium, right, Frank? Oh, yeah. Actually, uh, this is an interesting episode. It features a very uh, frightening gentleman named Kraltar. I got to say, every time he was on the show, I, well, I guess, spoiler, he's on the show more than once. Every time he was on the show, I was very much frightened for my life. Very much. I don't typically do the show from inside an impenetrable uh, plexiglass box, but I did for this episode. And I did. I had all sorts of defense mechanisms in future shows. This gentleman was a strong person, and he was an angry person. And I don't recommend anyone meeting with him ever because he's frightening. So you were afraid of him? I was, and I, sensibly so. He's like I said, scary guy. Well, on certain worlds, you know, he's actually killed you, chopped off your head, and eaten it with a spoon. Do you mean? I'm sorry. Do you mean he chopped off my head with a spoon or ate it with a spoon? He ate it with a spoon. That it would be sensible to. To eat it with a spoon. Spoon's was a, it a real, I mean, like a big spoon with, with my head on it? Or was he balancing it? Or did he scoop out a piece at a time? He scooped out a piece at a time. I mean, come on. Use your, use your head, Frank. Well, I can't if I get decapitated. Look, the point is, he's a scary guy. Let's get to the debate. Yes, please. Hello. 
Hello and welcome to Debatatorium 2006. My name is Frank Allen. And uh, Debatatorium 2006, as you know, is our wonderful debate program in which we debate... Enough talk! Bring forth the roast! Hold on, hold on. We'll debate uh, important issues of the day so that you don't have to worry about them anymore, you the listener. That is. And we're debating here from the Debatatorium, where there's a live studio audience, which we've asked to be respectfully quiet. So, alright. Uh, let me introduce our two uh, wonderful... This is at the last debate of the first round of our tournament. Uh, let me introduce the last two debaters. Uh, debater number one, why don't you introduce yourself, please? This is Desmond McGonagall. Please, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, I am a traveler of sorts. I have uh, backpacked across the Alps of Europe and uh, broken many legs. Welcome, welcome. Uh, that will probably help you in debating, I'm sure, in some way. And of course, debater number two. I am Croft of the Hill People. I have broken legs, arms, lives, spirits, bathed in the bloods of my adversaries. I am trained in all forms of combat. This victory will be assured to me. I am also here to collect tribute. Well, you do. You know that this isn't a. Uh, it's not a fight show. It's a debate show. Yes, debate is the most brutal form of combat of my people. Okay, it good. will be an epic victory. That is why I have brought my lucky sword. Now, of course, this uh, this debate is going to be about something that they've been debating in the United States for some time. I figured we better put this to bed. Uh, this is going to be on whether or not uh, the United States, as a nation, should respect uh, the United Nations. Whether or not the United Nations is a useful organization. And uh, as uh, as we all know, uh, Mr. McGonagall here believes that it is not useful to us. Whereas Mr... What was your name again, sir? I am Kraltar of the Hill People! Mr. Kraltar here. Show me respect! Kneel before me! Mr. Kraltar believes that the United Nations You is, are not kneeling! I, well, I'm not gonna kneel, but I have to stand Bring here... Bring me my axe! I have to stand here at the podium. He believes that the United Nations is, of course, a useful organization for the United States. So, Mr. McGonagall, why don't you go right ahead and tell us why the United States should not respect the United Nations? Well, you see, it's very simple. The United States, in and of itself, is a country founded upon a form of government unknown to this world. It's one unique in its ways and therefore cannot be governed within a system in which the world hosts such different points of views, if you understand my meaning. Now, the United States is a government that has never heard of before? It is a government very unique in itself, is what I say. Because of the democracy? And it's a unique form of democracy, yes. What's so unique about it? Well, you see, it was formed by slaves. Was slaves it? and outcasts. I think, wasn't that, are you sure? I yes. demand my time to speak! Well, you'll get your time. You get to go second. He goes first, then you go second. Now, wait, okay, I just have another question. Uh, I don't understand. Uh, isn't the United Nations democratic? No. Okay, uh, Mr. Kraltar. That was the worst insult I have ever heard. This is how you insult an opponent. You're weak, pitiful. I shall rip you asunder and drink your blood, then bathe in the tears of your women. For centuries, the babes of your tribe shall sing the name of Krolta, scourge of the earth. Now, I don't think he... Rules. I don't think he actually insulted you at all. I will kill you, Frank Allen! No, 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 you can't kill Frank Allen. He's the, he's the host. You would, I mean, you'd lose the debate by default. That's in the... I have won this debate! I am clearly the strongest warrior. Are you all so cowardly you will fight me with nothing more than words? Look at my swords and bulging muscles. Face me, I say! But what's so good about the United Nations? I don't understand. You are weak and pathetic! I, too, shall bathe in the tears of your women! You, too? Who else bathes in the tears of my women? 
He did! Yeah, you! Detroit rules! Now, interestingly enough, we do have an expert, I believe, who wants to comment on, I think, the United Nations, correct? Hello, my name is Smoltax. I'm I'm a peasant from the land of the blind, bordering uh, his kingdom, and I... As a form of tribute, I have to call in and back up his argument on this radio show. And I got Yes, or I will slay you! Please, please don't. Please don't. But, um, I have to say that the United Nations is a responsible international force that does an excellent job, an unbiased job, and represents all nations of the world, including those that are weak, such as ours, and those that are strong, such I crush the weak! Well, that's a good point. Now, he does crush the weak, so uh, if if the United Nations is so good, why aren't they saving you from him? Um, because he'll kill me if I don't call in and agree with him. You were not to say that! Die! <laughs> but I'm on the phone, sir. I am slaying the phone! Die, techno-demon! That's interesting. Um, Mr. McGonagall, do you have any comments on this issue? I believe my point has been proven. That's possible. That's possible. Uh, we do have another caller uh, on a different phone, thankfully, uh, who is another expert. Yes. Uh, ah, I, no, no, no. Hold I, on, hold I, on, hold on. I speak on phone. I speak on phone. I am uh, Georgios Preklos, the president of Independent Nation of Shistobekistan. Uh, and I need to speak about United Nations, uh, point about them. Because United Nations is, uh, make point about countries all together to nation state. So is entirely, uh, limit of state nation. Entirely government. So United Nations government meeting. Entirely delegates, you see? Yeah, I, I think I understand what you're saying, uh, but I don't know what it means. <laughs> Millions will die by my hand. No, All will know my might. You go New York, United, Geneva. Geneva, all the delegates, uh, Kofi Annan, uh, speak. Uh, all the delegates speak. are Kofi Annan? No, no, no. Your no, babbling no. fool cannot save you from my wrath. No, no. Kraltar is not amused. No, no. Is speaking to the tongue. All the speaker. Uh, the, 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 the United uh, Meeting. Meeting oh. in the Torium. Which, uh, Fidel um, speak. Castro? And, yes, Fidel speak. And then Bush speak. And then Putin speak. But uh, no. Okay, uh, maybe I get this. Vixens, glisten my muscles, for I am about to slay. But is no look a place where not not place. But okay, okay, now hold on. Border. I think, Mr. McGonagall, he might be supporting you. Uh, yes, he's actually just proven my entire point. McGonagall of a speech of not Shistobek, but a, a, a chair of the phone. Now that's very... Exactly my point. Yeah. I will place both of your heads on pikes before my war chariots, rend your women between two trees, pillage your cities, and burn all effigies that stand there. What Wait. is... What is pillage? It means, um, like, like it's rob when I and take loot. all the gold from you. I mean, it's gold. when I take all the gold from you. Gold, no, gold, all the, the all of the, the country bank, 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 treasure, no, okay. gold. Okay. It belongs to me. That gold is actually in the hands of the United Nations at this time. That is why I believe the United Nations is useless. Rich is rich money, money wallet rich. Now, okay, are you saying that you don't like the United Nations because they're rich? Not saying but but look at united nations look at united meeting but no small of peoples of world nation speak 
together, but small is united, not to nation, Geneva. I think, Mr. Crowther, he might be on your side. With one swipe of my axe, I have decimated tribes of people. There are nations that no longer exist before the scourge that is me. I, would, I am undefeated! Uh, I would respectfully ask that Mr. Kaltar stop intimidating the audience. I think, I think, is not small to not longer exist, but she's the big proud! That's very... When will this fight begin, Frank Allen? Um, this Stop is... hiding well, in hold your on. penetrable glass box. Okay, this is a fight of words. Like I said, it's a debate. Words like United Nations speak yes. delegate. It's I a... will fight with my words of axe and sword. No, no, those are what you call the weapons, but you can only use words, not weapons. Hold on, now now we have... Words, a... come here! <laughs> we... Kill them! No, no, no dogs allowed, no dogs allowed. But we do have... One more expert who did want to comment, I think, before we uh, get to our closing arguments. Uh, yes. I'm Captain Astounding, Earth's Mightiest Defender. Welcome, Captain. Yes, it's a pleasure to be here, Frank. Now, please- Raltar is the mightiest! Well, yes, on the Earth. I'm kind of above it, facing away, so that when threats come, I will see them coming. Kraltar will not stand for your omnipresent condescension! Please have a I seat, Kraltar. Have a seat. Have a seat. It's not a problem. Why don't you tell us which side of this debate you're on, Captain? Hmm. I must admit that both sides have their points. On the one hand... I am covered with points! Blood-encrusted points! On the one hand, Mr. McGonagall does seem to imply that the United Nations and the United States have mutually exclusive goals. On the other hand, Kraltar, should he lose, will surely unleash a wave of destruction that would take me minutes, perhaps half an hour, to stop. That would be really inconvenient for me, and so I am not sure immediately which side I can come down on in this. Okay, well, Cap... Cap My wave of destruction will take many halves of hours and minutes, maybe a day. You are not ready for the unchallenged might of Kraltar! Captain, Captain. Could I again ask that Kraltar stop intimidating our callers? Um... Vixens, glisten my muscles! <laughs> Cap Captain? Captain? Yes, Frank? The, the truth of the matter is I didn't really care what you thought about it. I brought you here because I haven't decided whether Kraltar wins or not. Ah, I see. So... Please, let me stand on top of your impenetrable glass box and prepare to defend yeah. you against his wrath. We do have... Superhero day to defend country all the... the, the world of danger look, danger! Look, look, sandbox tyrant. San tyrant! I, I don't San have... Tyrant. I don't have time for your individual sovereignty. I'm defending all of Earth. All of it against the Starcon. When was the last time you were able to defend me against the Starcon? Yours, Starcon, what is? I am art of part. I. Uh, hey, hey, could I, could I ask something off topic for a second? Yes, please. What the hell is he talking about? No, no, I've no. not understood a word. It's all right. He was just an expert. I think he was supporting. Yes, he was. Okay. <laughs> Now, we do have to go to Whoa, our closing geez. arguments. Captain, if you could uh, grab the chains from the back uh, just yes, in case. Yes, certainly. Uh, Mr. McGonagall, you get to make your closing arguments first. Wrap it all up. Show us why uh, you are right. Well, you see, with the addition of cap the uh, captain's words, I, see, I think you can understand where America is indeed separate from the United Nations. Let's be honest. The United Nations is pussy-whipped by the United States. What do you mean by that? They are weak. And so, if... Kotar will accept. I wish for him to destroy the United Nations. Now, that's interesting. However, him accepting that deal would make him wrong. 
Well, so let's see if, if he accepts being wrong. I will take your songs of joy and happiness and transform them into a dirge of misery. All so ground beneath my heel. I shall cut a swath of destruction across this land that will echo forth throughout the halls of time. When all cry, they will see my face, for I am Kraltar, the destroyer of worlds! Think I popped a blood vessel. So you'll destroy the UN then? Well, I think that was a no, actually. I think that was a destroy you and everyone. Getting dizzy! Interesting. So did you want to add anything about the United Nations? Someone help! He looks a little dizzy. Captain, why don't you help him? That sounds like something I can do. Here, let my you let me use my MD in medicine to help you there. Yes, yes, come closer. Onto ah! my sword! Knives! <laughs> my one weakness! Kraltar is also a master strategist! None! None are better! He has both said it and sprayed it. I am doomed. Um, unfortunately, uh, with the death of Captain uh, Astounding, uh, Kralthar does win. Of course Kralthar wins! I am the mightiest warrior! Now, let us commence the ancient form of debate! Uh, we just finished the debate. You won. Yes, the debate must begin! Bring me my debating axe! You know what? I think your debating axe is in San Francisco, so you might want to go grab Wenches! that. Is there a hospital nearby or something? Silence! I am stabbing you! <laughs> All right, so... Th- one weakness again! All right, so that does mean that, of course, the United Nations is very, very useful to the United States. Commence the debate! <laughs> Which does solve that once and for all. Uh, this has been a pretty interesting debate with a lot of good points made on both sides. Pray to your gods, McGonagall! And, um... <laughs> That seems like that. This- now you must die, Frank Allen! Um, no, I'm not gonna die. Impenetrable glass, no! Thank you, thank you. I do like that, uh, impenetrable glass. However, uh, as I said, this is the end of the show. Uh, Debatatorium 2006 will reach its second round, in which the winners of the last five debates will come back, along with one wild card, starting next episode. Why don't you come back and listen to it? Thank you. Good night. episode of Debatatorium featured the voice talents of Frank Allen, Charles Berman, Joe Coppola, Daniel Schwartz, Jacob Thompson, Elijah Weberham, and Jordan D. White. Thank you very much. We're going to have to get cranking because we've got a jam-packed episode, and I know that you've got a very special Frank Allen interview up next, right, Frank? Absolutely correct. Uh, I did this at Jordan's request. Uh, you want to introduce it? Yeah, yeah. Um, basically, I said, you know, w- w- it's been a while since we've had people who were actually relevant to the show on the show. You know, my, you inter- interviewed my wife about her part in the show once before, but we have other people who, you know, behind the scenes helped out. Let's talk to them. So I set up an interview with Frank with my friend Lynn, who co-wrote some of the shows and acted in a lot of them. She played the mother in Like Mother. She played Macy Hayes in Decker and Hayes, you're about to hear in a minute. Basically, I figured she'd be a good person to talk to about kind of some gossip about the show or some, what was going on behind the scenes, who 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 hated who, who secretly backstabbed who, you know, things like that. Because she kind of uh, is good with that sort of information, I think, if you know what I'm saying. So I figured, Frank, that would be perfect for you, right, Frank? Yeah. Uh, and that's what I told her when I called her up. And I set that interview up. So let's hear how it went. Frank Allen Interviews. Starring Frank Allen. Hello and welcome to Frank Allen Interviews. My name is Frank Allen. And I have with me a guest, a behind-the-scenes of Waxwork type guest, as I had on my very first Frank Allen interview. Uh, With me tonight, if it is night where you are, is Lynn Nelson. Hi, Frank. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, It's good to see you again. Haven't seen you in a while. Yeah. Yeah, it's been a while. 
tell us a bit about yourself and your connection to the shows here. Um, it's actually an interesting story because the way we we all ended up on the radio was totally my doing. Um, I was really interested in the radio when I first got to college, and uh, I went to be a DJ. Um, I passed the test. I became really pretty much the best DJ there was in the station, um, you know, if I do say so myself. But I ended up really bored with the whole scene. Everyone was kind of lame. So I, I just decided to drop my show. But then Jordan, who had been just kind of, you know, tagging along my show for a while, decided that he wanted to do one. And so uh, we all started joining in. He uh, wanted to do radio theater. We started writing the serials. And uh, it just sort of blew up from there. I also was totally responsible for getting everyone in to help him write and record. So, I, you know, I, I played a pretty big role in everything. Now, that's interesting. I Because I that's not the version that I heard before this. From who? Well, pretty much anybody else. I mean, uh, uh, Jordan for, is the main example. Um, Devin? Well, I mean, can you really take what they say seriously? First of all, Jordan is going to tell you that it was all him, you know, because he's a huge egomaniac. Devin is his wife, so I mean, we're very good friends, but she's going to support whatever he says. We like to boost Jordan's ego a little bit, because when he came on the scene, you know, he was kind of a loner, he didn't really have any friends, he was tagging along my show, so we wanted to give him, you know, a little more confidence when he was starting his own show, so we started, you know, telling him how everyone loved him and was coming there to uh, to support him, but I mean, really... Really, really, it was all me. Okay, so wait, I'm, I'm still a little confused. So he made up the shows... He organized the shows. He made the shows. But it was all you? Well, no. Jordan was responsible generally for uh, the premise of just about every show. He would invent the general concept. Um, and in some cases, he wrote every script. And in other cases, uh, we did kind of a round-robin thing. But he had to run everything by me. I mean, he was really insecure about putting this stuff up. And in many times, uh, we didn't really have an idea for a big plot. So something that we would write for an episode or that Jordan would write for an episode would be based on some brilliant thing that I did. So if it was like a superhero show, I would... Something I did would help us figure out how to save the day or, you know, I mean, generally I was sort of always a present force behind whatever he put out. Huh. Well, I mean, I, well, I used to, I mean, I don't know if you remember, but I used to be involved in a few of those shows and I don't, I was there. I don't remember ever anything being run by you. No, I don't remember that at all. I, 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 I kind of was in charge of my two shows and uh, I mean, even when I would watch you record the other stuff, I, it looked like Jordan was running the show. Well, uh, first of all, I mean, the things that we were writing. So I, as I'm saying, you know, a lot of the scripts that we would write. So, you know, some of your shows were uh, much more on the off the cuff, if you will, um, and involved a lot of other people. So I, you know, I didn't have as big a hand in your stuff because Jordan wasn't really providing you with scripts. He wouldn't do it in the station. I mean, we didn't want to make a big show out of it because we did want Jordan to feel like he was in control of this and, uh, you know, and sort of feel good about what he was doing. But behind the scenes, like, uh, you know, when he was writing, he would email me things or uh, he'd call me up and be like, what do you think about this? And I'd be like, eh, it's not really, I don't think it's going to fly. But what about this thing that happened to me today? What if we put that in a script? You know, so that's the kind of thing that would happen. I mean, but I was in, again, I was in, I was in Decker and Hayes. I was in uh, Guard Duty quite a bit. And uh, you were in those, but I didn't, it didn't, it certainly didn't look like you were the driving force behind the show. I, 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 I just am surprised to hear this. Well, as I'm explaining, it was mostly development. I mean, I wasn't going to direct the whole recording of the thing. I and mean, that was that was mostly Jordan's show, if you will. But yeah, I mean, we were all there to record and just have a good time. And uh, and so once it was developed and, and I was happy with where the script was and the casting and, and the jokes and all of that, uh, you know, it was totally his show. So, okay, well, uh, about the recording sessions. Uh, now, I know you used to, you guys used to record every, uh, every week, once a week, right? That's correct. On... Um 
Monday nights? Usually, yes. Okay. Um, well, let me, let, me, uh, let me draw your attention, if I can, back to February 19th, uh, 2007. Do you recall that night? Not off the top of my head, no. Okay, well, uh, perhaps I can refresh your memory. It was a night where you were doing recording. Do you recall that? I recall a lot of recording nights, yes. Okay, well, this is a kind of an important night, uh, because you may recall that's the night uh, that Alan Thomas was murdered. Oh, of course. Yeah, that was all over the news. Well, I mean, it was all over the news, and, I mean, the police talked to you a number of times. Correct. Now, you'll, you'll probably remember... Remember then that you you were said you did recording because you said you were at recording that was your that was your alibi right of course yes and about that uh, I just wanted to ask you were you at recording that night I was at recording although as I recall now that you're reminding me of uh, all of the conversations I did have with the the police and the um, reporters that I actually recruited to come and cover the story I was ill if I if I recall correctly and so I I was there to um, oversee and facilitate and I believe bring food although I. I don't believe I ended up actually doing any recording. I believe I had lost my voice. Interesting. So you're saying that you could record later. Yes, that's correct. So in other words, there's really no proof that you were there. Well, a number of people saw me there. But if a number of people were in there recording, they would have spent a good amount of their time in the recording studio. Generally speaking, I mean, we did have a lot of people who were coming from class and work, and so we had kind of a common area where we kept all of our stuff, and uh, usually one or two people would stay out of the recording room to watch it. But if you weren't recording... That night, there would have been a number of times when you were not in everyone's presence. You were all alone. You don't have any evidence that you were there the entire time. No, unfortunately not. And I think the police might be interested in learning this. Well, the police did learn this. I mean, they questioned me back then. But my understanding is they they thought that the fact that you were in the shows recorded on that night meant that you had been there. Well, I mean, it was just easy to uh, to provide that kind of evidence because, I mean, it's true. You know, I was I was there the whole time, so... But, but you recorded that part later. You could have slipped out at any time. Tell Tell us, what was your relationship to Alan? I didn't know him at all. Are you sure? 100%. Did you know that he was a French major? At what university? Binghamton University. No, I did not. He was. Good to know. Weren't you? I was a French major and a comparative literature major, both relatively large departments. I don't recall what age he was either. I don't know if he would have been in any of my classes. He would have been in your classes. He was in your classes. How do you know that? I've done some investigating. Hold on one second. I have here a paper that says you were both in French in the same class uh, in 2006. Which semester? Spring. What class would that have been? Uh, read it yourself. Aha. Uh-huh. Oh, this translation class? That was a gigantic lecture course. I don't think I knew half the people in that class. But I'm also showing you both did a translation project on the exact same work. I'm sure his was much worse than mine. It's interesting that you say that. He was actually accused of plagiarism and was failed out of the class. Well, that's what happens when you plagiarize. Well, that is a possibility. If it was plagiarism, I have my doubts. In addition, I, I'm showing that you that you both lived in Digman Hall at the exact same time, if you look there. A dorm room? You're bringing up a dorm? Well, you both were in it. My point is that you knew him. Well, we both weren't in the same dorm room. I'm just saying, it's a big building. These are huge buildings. I didn't know anyone. I didn't even know all the people on my floor. Well, I'm not showing that he was on the same floor as you. I'm showing that he was in the room above you, actually. My, my point being that if I don't even know everyone on my floor, how am I supposed to know everyone in the building? It's possible you didn't, but it's possible that you knew him. Possible, but not factual. I propose 
that you did know him, that you met him in Digman Hall, possibly because you lived above him. It's possible that he drunkenly stumbled into your room, thinking it was his own. That's not important. The point is, you knew him. You took that French class with him, found out he was doing the same project as you. You were furious. You couldn't stand the competition, so you accused him of plagiarism, got him flunked out of the class. I don't know how you faked the paper on the internet, but you could have done it. Then, as he learned the truth about the plagiarism, you left recording while everyone else was in the studio, lured him to the science library and threw him down those stairs, claiming it was icy. But obviously everyone saw through that. It was murder. It was clearly murder. And I think you did it. Well, Mr. Allen, I must say I don't appreciate you bringing me on your show under the guise of a gossip interview just to accuse me of murder. A murder, by the way, you, which you seem to know a lot about and which no one can prove that you didn't do, given that you were at recording for your shows only and not for ours. But either way, I don't think you have any proof. Well, no, I, but I didn't, yeah, I, w I was only there for my shows, but then I went home, so it wasn't me. The point is that you, I bring you on my show, it's an invest, it's not a gossip show, thank you. It's a, it's an interview and it's, you know, investigative journalism where I'm investigating the murder you did. So, who better to talk to about it? So let me ask you a question. Okay. My understanding from my many conversations with the police back in February of 07 was that Alan Thomas had a uh, part-time job working at one of the radio stations in the area. Do you know anything about that? Well, no, I, d I don't. But, you know, what's your point? That it, unless, he was, unless he was speaking French on that, I don't understand how that would fit in with this idea. So you mean to tell me that you weren't uh, applying to various jobs at the radio stations in the area to boost your career while you were up there? That doesn't... I, I mean, yes, but that's because I'm a radio host, so... You know. And uh, you didn't get any of those jobs, though? No, but I that's not... Have, I don't see what that has to do with it. My point is, it was the French paper that did it when you were killing him. Rather than the possibility that he might have foiled a job you were trying to get? I don't know where you're getting that idea. That's nonsense. That's nonsense. He was... I didn't even know that he worked there at the time. It had nothing to do with it. I've heard that later, but it was later. And I was a little aggravated, but it was a different... So you did hear about it? It was later. It was after he died. It was the day after he died. Kind of like I'm just finding out that he was in one of my French classes? You, that's a lie, though. You knew he was in your French... You, so, you, I know you must have seen him. He was in that class with you every day, a whole semester. How could you possibly know he was there every day, the whole semester? There's attendance records on these things. It. Look, I looked into it. You're a little obsessed with this, aren't you? Admit what you've done. Maybe the police will go easy on you. Are you just trying to come up with a very complicated alibi? I don't need an alibi. I was at recording, and then I went home. It's... it's I, I... There's no... Can anybody vouch for that? Everybody saw me at recording. I'm on the recording. Everybody saw me at recording, too. Yeah, but you left recording. How do you know? Well, you could have left recording. So could you. In fact, you just admitted that you did. Well, I did, but I went home. With someone? Well, no, I, I live alone. But I went there. So there's no proof that you didn't go throw Alan Thomas from the science library stairs and then go home? Well, there there is because I watched a TV show. What TV show? Uh, well, I mean, again, it's it's been a long time. But if I if you talked to me earlier, I would have known. I would have known the name of it. And I had some dinner. So does your TV only work during certain hours of the day? No, but shows are only on at certain times. If you, you can't watch a show anytime you want. Yeah, but if you don't remember what the show is, how do we know it was a 9 o'clock show versus an 11 o'clock show? In fact, how do we know it wasn't a rerun? Well, it was new to me. And you only eat dinner at a certain time? I was hungry. In fact, sometime after recording, as I recall, many times we would start around, what, 7 o'clock on Monday night, and it, it takes a good hour to record one show, so you would have gotten home somewhere at the earliest around 9.30 or 10. That's kind of a late dinner. Why didn't you eat around 7? Because I was at recording. Okay, then 6. I mean, we often all just like got something to eat and sat around at 6 or 6.30 before recording. You could have hung out with us. Where were you then? 
I don't remember. You know what I think, Frank? I think you applied for a job at a radio station. This little kid, some, like, college runt, came and ruined your opportunity, and you found out about it, and you left recording, and you went and threw him off the science library. How do you like that on your gossip interview show? Oh, I, I don't remember it that way. Are you saying you blacked out? No. Just because I don't remember doing that doesn't mean I did it. No wonder you can't hold a job. Total mess like that, not remembering anything. You know what? I was glad Jordan brought you on the show because I felt sorry for you, but I'm kind of mad now because I thought we had a friendship going here. I thought we had a nice relationship, and you bring me on your show as a lie. I mean, telling me I'm going to do an interview, and then accuse me of murder. Well, a murder that you could have totally committed yourself. Well, no, I mean, but you did. I did interview you. It just went a little differently than a regular, but I mean, no, I mean, you, you were on my show a lot of times, and that was good. I liked it. Yeah, I liked it too, but I mean, you're totally pathetic. This is ridiculous. Well, look, it's uh, it seemed an awful lot like you did it, so I kind of thought you did. Yeah, well, it seems an awful lot like you did it. It could have been a number of people. Just well, because I was randomly sick at recording, this is your this is your explanation. Well, and you knew him. No, I didn't know him. You're just inventing stuff, like Rory. You know what? I'm I'm sick of this. I'm done. I'm out of here. Don't don't invite me on anything again. We'll see if I see you on the podcast. Um, well, uh, that's the end of that. This has been a, uh, Frank Allen interview, and see you next week. Um, okay, Frank, that was not exactly what I had in mind for your interview. Uh, no, I mean, no, I didn't end up going with the gossip angle so much, but I thought it was a good interview. I mean, I, I was doing an investigative journalism angle, which I think is more serious and more, you know, more more valuable to the listener. Yes, but what you found out was not useful because you basically found out that she says she didn't do it, we didn't know if she did it, and perhaps you did it. Well, that was, okay, yeah, but that was more than the general public knew before my interview. I guess that's true. Well, okay, look, two things. I've got two things to say about this. Okay. First of all, uh, I know Yin, and she's like big worse. So I don't think she killed anybody. First of all. Second of all, I still don't get what's so bad about killing. I kill all sorts of things. You do? Like what? Well, like like birds and mice. And demons. Well, okay, you don't kill birds and mice. You would like to kill birds and mice. You see birds outside and you clearly want to go kill them, but you don't. Yeah, but I could. I would. I I do. I eat birds. You eat, again, moist food that we give you that is made from birds. It's it's not, you didn't kill those birds. It tastes like birds. It is birds. It's chickens and stuff like that, but you didn't kill it yourself. Well, I, I basically, I, I shake it. Yeah, but you don't, it's not alive. You didn't kill it. Whatever. But, oh, but anyway, no, you know, in addition, okay, I, I mean, I don't really know whose side I'm on on this issue, Frank, because you did ambush my friend and do a show that I wasn't planning to do, but then again, she was also telling lies about me. I'm, I made, these shows are my shows. She's a big liar, and I can't believe she did that. Anyway, look, let's get, let's move on. Here's, a, here's an episode of Decker and Hayes that is written, uh, who wrote this one? All right, well, this one she happened to write, but... The ones that I write, she didn't write. I, okay, so she wrote this one. But it, it's not, I'm not saying, but she was lying about everything else. Again, this is about the lady and the protesting. Yeah, that's what I was just thinking. No, I'm not a lady. She's a lady, and she's the one who's protesting. I, they're my shows. Oh, I don't know. I don't know about that. You, you do know about that. You just did the interview. Oh, okay. Decker and Hayes, here it is. Episode 7, Promises to Keep, by Lynn Nelson. Parlor Town, 
his seedy little city was seeming more hopeless by the minute. It had a reputation for being rife with drugs, petty theft, illegal solicitation, and cold-blooded murder. But now, things were getting out of hand. Stella Decker and Macy Hayes, Parlor Town's Diamonds in the Rough, had been cracked apart by an increasingly uncrackable case. Tess was out of the picture. Her resurrected husband was dead again, and Stella and Macy were less powerful without each other. Seeking comfort and something to focus on, and an old friend, Stella had gone to visit Stickler in the hospital in the company of Julian McGinnis. Now, with Tommy passed out on the couch, his lady interest, Rhiannon Rose, was parked outside Stella and Macy's house, having followed Stella home from the hospital. Her formerly young, sweet voice came out hushed, husky, almost sultry, as she spoke slowly into her cell phone. Yeah, I took care of the guy. He was easy. Pillow. It's tried and true? I wore gloves. No, no one saw me. What, what's with the third degree, P? I'm not stupid. Yeah, I saw the girl, followed her home. What's her story? Okay, just asking. Don't get touchy. You know, I don't feel so right about this. It's been a while, P. What's so important that you had to call me out of the blue? I remember perfectly well. You don't make it very easy to forget. I know what I said, but you don't call me out for just any job. This has got to be important. All right, look, this isn't the best place to argue. But I'm not going to do this tonight. It's too risky. I'm sure they found the guy by now, and I don't want them to be too easily linked. P? Are you there? Damn cell phones. P? Pal? Paladin, are you there? Rhiannon slapped her phone shut. Technology. This was so much easier when we used telegrams. He didn't have room to annoy me. Rhiannon turned her engine on, shifted to drive, and purred her car away. Inside the apartment, Stella was reclined against the arm of the sofa, one leg stretched out and one knee propping up the book she wasn't reading. The phone on the table behind her rang, and she picked up. Hello? Hey, Stell! Jules, can't get enough of me, eh? Look, I told you, I don't swing that way. You want my news or not? I can wait till morning, toots. Well, make it quick. I was engrossed in this book. Stickler's kicked. You're kidding. He was stable when I left. You ever, can never call that wacko stable. No official news yet, but a nurse friend of mine mentioned it something about asphyxiation. <laughs> Maybe you sucked up all his oxygen. Well, my gut says homicide, but I'm pretty sure I'm not the culprit. <laughs> all right. You want to meet back at the hospital in the morning? It's a date. Say tennis? I've, you know, got a date. <sighs> Julian, gross. I don't want those details. Well, I'm just saying. So, ten? Sure. Jules? Yeah? You've got friends? Nurse friends, even. Sexy. See you in the morning. Get some sleep. You look white today. Thanks, Jules. Good night. Stella hung up the phone and leaned back against the sofa. Her book turned upside down on her thigh, her arms crossed. She fell asleep thinking and awoke with a start a minute before the alarm in her bedroom went off at seven. She blinked and rubbed her eyes for a minute, stretched out the leg that was still supporting the book. She winced as her knee creaked out its stiffness and her muscles loosened up. She put her book down on the couch. She walked gingerly into the bedroom to turn off her alarm, which was set to a local station from a couple towns over. Just as she put her hand on the button, the morning news came back from the commercial and she stopped. 
back with continued coverage of the Jack Nichols murder. An autopsy conducted late last night revealed six bullet wounds. No murder weapon has yet been uncovered, but the lead suspect is still Private Detective Macy Hayes, who has not been located. If you encounter this woman, she is to be considered armed and dangerous. Do not approach her, but call police and alert them to her whereabouts. This description of the suspect has just been issued to us from the local police station. Stella clicked off her radio. She could still smell Macy's hair, feel the soft touch of her lips. She could still see the way her clothes clung just right to her beautiful figure. She didn't need a stranger from the police department telling her what her lover looked like. She wrapped herself in a robe and went into the kitchen to make some coffee. What, does it get colder every night in this dump? Stella looked out the window at the two feet of snow that had fallen overnight. Guess I'll have to break out the big boots. Stella leaned over her kitchen counter, lost in thought as her coffee maker started to percolate. She tapped her fingers on the counter for a minute, then turned off the coffee maker briskly, dressed quickly, put on her snow boots and heavy coat, and left, slamming the door behind her. She got in her car, coaxed the engine on, and drove to the blue diner. Just as she was getting out of the car to go inside, a faded green truck pulled into the barren parking lot behind her. She walked over to the driver's side as a husky man in a surprisingly well-groomed coat and pair of pants stepped out of the truck. It's a little early, isn't it? Not for me, ma'am. Been making deliveries since four. You always deliver here? Yes, ma'am. We give Mr. Stickler here everything he needs. <laughs> everything, huh? Look, how about I buy you a cup of coffee? Stickler's a friend. I'm sure he won't mind waiting a few minutes. I'm not one to turn down coffee from a pretty lady. After you. Two went inside the diner, where the waitress that Macy had intimidated was working the counter. So you're open, huh? Eh, business is business, miss. Two? Please. The waitress seated them and brought them some coffee. So what's this all about? Not to be rude, but no one has ever asked me to coffee so eagerly. What's your name? Jones, ma'am. Felix Jones. Stella Decker. That truck out there? Where's that from? Greenlight Supplies, ma'am. At your service. <laughs> Are you the guys who always run the red? No, not me, ma'am. I never break the law. <laughs> it was a joke, prep school. How often do you deliver to Stickler? Well, usually once every other month or so. We give him glasses when they break and silverware when it gets bent, stuff <laughs> like that. Lately, I've been here almost at least once a week on account of his plates keep getting smashed up. Look, I really don't mean to insist like this, but I feel wrong talking about Mr. Stickler like this. Can't you tell me what's going on at all? I'm a detective, Felix. Here's my card, in case you're worried about any funny stuff. Oh no, ma'am. I wasn't implying anything like that. It's okay, prep school. I'm ribbing you. You should lighten up. I hope that's decaf she brought you. I don't drink anything but. I figured as much. So, I take it you're dropping off more plates? Yes, indeedy. Got the call about three days ago. Three days? <clears throat> you sure about that? Absolutely. Stella looked at her watch. She'd have to hightail it if she was going to meet McGinnis. Well, listen, prep school, you've been awfully helpful. I'm sorry to take you away from your job. Take my card. Seriously. And if you think of anything, give me a call at my office. Stella winked and left a pretty confused Jones to his decaf coffee. I'll be back. Stella waved to the waitress and flew down the steps. She opened her car door and had one foot inside the car when she felt a quick pressure in her left shoulder that knocked her torso over the open door, followed by a searing pain, and everything went blank. Back at Rhiannon's house, Tommy awoke on the couch to the smell of French toast and the sound of Rhiannon humming in the kitchen, her normal cheery manner having returned. He sat up groggily and then gave a start. He frantically ran his hands over his clothes, feeling very mussed up, then brought his fingers up to his mouth and just audibly muttered, Ah, uh, uh, dear. That you, hon? 
Tommy stood up and straightened out his shirt, making sure it was tucked in. He checked the button and zipper of his pants and walked hesitantly into the kitchen. Um, Rhea. Good morning, sleepyhead. Hungry? Oh, uh, it, it smells delicious, Rhea. I don't really know how to ask this, but nothing indecent happened last night, did it? I I wasn't I- improper, was I? Oh, goodness, no, silly. You passed out and I let you sleep. Oh, thank goodness. <laughs> I was so worried. Not that not that that's something I, I would do. I, I was just... I just don't remember a thing. That beer must have knocked you out. Must have. Tommy's cell phone rang. He took it out of his pocket and walked into the next room, muttering. Way to be awkward, Thomas. Get over it. Hello? Yes, it is. What? What? Oh my goodness. I'll be right there. Tommy ran into the kitchen, kissed Rhiannon on the cheek, apologized, and ran out, leaving the second person of the morning confused and feeling a little rejected. At the hospital, Stella awoke to the sounds of Tommy's voice from down the hall. Stella! Miss Tucker! Stella! Tommy stopped outside her room, looked in, and ran in the room in a state of complete panic. Oh, Miss Tucker! I thought you were dead! Tommy threw himself over the foot of her bed, causing her to wince a little. What the hell is going on here? A nurse rushed in, following the noise. Sir, could you please keep it down? This is, this is a hospital. There are sick people here, in case you don't know what a hospital is. They need their rest. Oh, oh, Miss Decker, you're awake. You suffered a nasty shot to the shoulder, but you're going to be just fine. The doctor will be in shortly to talk with you. Oh my God, someone shot you! Sir, please! If you can't control yourself, I'm going to have to ask you to leave. I'm sorry, miss. I'll be quiet. See that you do. The nurse walked out. Gee, Miss Decker, you got shot. So it seems. Man, my shoulder's sore. I don't know what happened. Well, the doctor will be in soon, she said. Guess so. (laughs) It's funny, I was supposed to be here checking out someone else who got shot. What do you mean? Stickler. The dino owner? No kidding. Not this time. God, I hate these places. I know, Miss Decker. You'll be out soon. It better be. Anyway, Tommy, Julian McGinnis is in the cafeteria getting some coffee. He'll fill you in on everything. I'm pretty tired. Will you help him with anything he needs help with? Tommy stood at attention and gave a salute. I'm on the case, Chief. His cuteness was almost sickening. Tommy... Why isn't she here? She watches the news. She reads the news. She must know. Why isn't she here? Tommy sat down and rubbed Stella's foot through the hospital blanket. She'll be back, Miss Decker. Give her some time. Thanks, kid. Just then, Julian knocked on the door and came in the room. I see your right-hand man has arrived. Good to finally meet you, Tommy. You too, sir. Listen, McGinnis, the delivery guy for the Blue Diner says Stickler called in a delivery for more plates three days ago. You don't stop for a second, do you? Wait a minute, three days ago? That makes no sense, he had plates then. He said he stopped the vandal when he was shot. Why would he order more plates before he needed them? That's what I need you two to figure out while I sleep off this pain. Now get out of here. There's too much testosterone in this room. Go send one of those cute nurses in. That's the spirit, doll. Good to have you back. Tommy, will you help out, Jules? Yes. And thanks for all your help. You're the cutest butch I know. Aw, shucks. You flatter me, Stell. Why was Stickler jumping the gun on ordering his plates? What did Rhiannon have to do with Paladin? And since when was she a hired assassin? Was Tommy in danger? Where was Macy? Had she committed a double murder? And who shot Stella? Tune in to next week's installment of Decker and Hayes. Up the Creek.
that episode of Decker and Hayes. The narrator was Daniel Schwartz. Stella Decker was Angela Tyman. Macy Hayes and the nurse were Lynn Nelson. Rhiannon Rose was Devon White. Tommy Potsdam was Nicholas Roach. Felix Jones was Sam Thomason. Julian McGuinness was Richard Bellin. The waitress was Magdalena Richards. And the newscaster was Frank Allen. The theme song was by Michael Temporary Card Mikowski. Thank you, Rory. Thank you, Rory. And that just about wraps it up for our show. Again, I want to reiterate that you can write to us at castandwax at gmail.com. You can write to me or you can write to Frank. Yeah, and I, I do like getting mail, so please. Uh, I mean, Jordan will print it out for me and I'll read it. You can write again to, to Rory with with requests for business or otherwise. Well, preferably otherwise because, we, again, we want to be able to talk about them on the show rather than saying, oh, look, you've got another job. Well, I, but, uh, but it would make me happy. Well, yeah, but again, I, I like I said, I'm not in the making individual people happy business. We're doing a, a podcast. Um, but you can also, you can write to Skate. Uh, yeah, I can't read, but Dad will read it to me. Yes, I will. That's the end of the show. Uh, hope you enjoyed it. Come back next week for lots of cool stuff, and, uh, I'll be seeing you. next episode of Cast and Wax. On guard duty, the entire Earth Guard shows up for a team meeting. I propose that Ocean Man be kicked out of the Earth Guard. What? Now wait a minute. Second. I'm going to have to ask you to step outside while we make our decision. On Tractor Fiction, we tackle the serious topic of teen suicide. I've had it. I'm gonna do it Friday night. Okay, Lance. If you do, I'll do it during your funeral. But aren't you afraid? Are you kidding? My middle name is No Fear. You can't tell anyone, okay? Okay. Just my sister. And on Epic Echoes, the Flashback finally learns that they've been betrayed by one of their own. Dralis? Why would she betray Max? How should I know? The man is a stupid head. Maybe you'd have preferred Dralis ask you on a date so she could be torturing you? It might be worth it. All this, plus Rory Sinchin's This Day in History and Where Are They Now in History, and my Frank Allen interviews, coming your way on Waxwork.com on July 14th.